welcome to the At Ramsey Heights podcast, your source for all of our audio messages at Ramsey Heights Baptist Church in Batesville, Arkansas. This is Pastor Brian Coates, and I hope this encouragement from God's Word connects with you and helps guide you through your next steps on your journey with God. Enjoy today's message. If you've got your Bibles with you this morning, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. You can go ahead and turn there. Uh, while you're turning there, let me ask you a question. When you think of great basketball players, who do you think of? Uh, stop. The correct answer is Michael Jordan, okay? And if the first thing you thought of was LeBron James, I'm going to ask you to stand up, come up here. We need to pray over you. Satan has a stronghold in your life we need to get rid of. Like Michael Jordan is the greatest basketball player of all time. If I hadn't have dropped out of junior high basketball, it might have been me. But Michael Jordan was it. So Michael Jordan is the greatest basketball player of all time. And if you look at Michael Jordan's stats, he put up a little over 32,000 points in his career. That's, that, that's insane. That doesn't even make sense. 32,000 points. Now, I'm going to be honest with y'all. I'm a college football freak. I don't know a lot about the NBA. So I was researching this this week, and I was going through some things. And I was shocked to find out that although we know Jordan is the best basketball player of all time, I was shocked to find out there were many people who had more points than him. That, that really did. I was expecting. Like, you go to Michael Jordan, you expect him to be at the top of every set. There are other people for different reasons that scored more points than Michael Jordan. For example, we know Kobe Bryant, while not the, bat, not the best, was really, really good at basketball. He put up right around three or 33,000 points. But one of the things that, that kind of shocked me was Carl Malone, a name that we all know, but Carl Malone is second all time in, in being able to put up points, 37,000 points that he put up in his career. And I'm looking at Carl Malone, I'm going... You're not that much better than my Michael Jordan. I mean, yeah, you may, you may hold some records. You may put up a lot of points. But Michael Jordan not only was the best basketball player in history, he also helped defeat an alien army coming in here and trying to take over the world. You guys need to go watch Space Jam. If that went like this, there's a movie called Space Jam where Michael Jordan and Bugs Bunny defeated cartoon aliens in a basketball game, okay? Michael Jordan is the only one to have ever done that correctly. I, I was looking at I was like, what makes, um, Cologne. <laughs> what makes Carl Malone that much better that he has that many more points than Jordan? And what I found at looking at this was Carl Malone had a great team around him, but one particular teammate that helped build Carl Malone up. So if you're an NBA freak, you may not know this name. It, if you're not, you probably won't. I've got a picture coming up. This is John Stockton, and he played with Carl Malone on the Utah Jazz. Now, statistically, if you compare him to the greats of the NBA basketball, like, like you wouldn't think he was that great. Like, 19,000 points. Don't get me wrong. He's really good. 19,000 points is a lot. But, like, eh, that's not Jordan numbers. That's not Malone numbers. But what you'll see with John, Stock excuse me, with John Stockton is he made a lot of contributions to the team and to Carl Malone that made him a great player. Not because he was flashy in the front of everything, but because he was a team player. In the 19 years that John Stockton was on the Utah Jazz, they went to the playoffs every single year. Twice they made it to the finals. John Stockton had an opportunity because he was so valuable to that team to negotiate a contract. He purposely took less money so there would be more money available for the team to get other good players, making the team better altogether. But here's what's really impressive about John Stockton. John Stockton had 15,806 assists. 
Now, if you're not a basketball person, let me just explain what an assist is. An assist is when I've got the ball, I can't make the shot, but I know who can make the shot, and I get that ball to them. John Stockton is the all-time leader in assists. He could see people and get them the ball. So John Stockton, while not having huge numbers like maybe Jordan or Kobe or Malone, John Stockton is either directly or indirectly in his NBA career responsible for 50,000 points, being able to get the ball to the person who could make the score. And when you look at Carl Malone, Carl Malone and John Stockton were a one-two punch. Carl Malone owes 15,000, I'm sorry, not, let me take that back. Yeah, 15,000 of his points to Stockton getting him the ball. Seeing that Carl Malone was in the right place, knowing how to get him the ball safely and in a way where he could put it up. John Stockton is the ultimate team player. He put others before him because what he knew is he's not a player who's going to make all the points. But he knew his job was to make others better around him. And it occurs to me as we come together as a church, that's what we're all here for. We're not all here to be the superstars. I think you're all superstars. I love you all. But that's, that's not what we come here for, is to be the guy up front, to be the guy doing everything, to, to, to be the one that everybody looks to. No, we're all here to make the people around us better. We're here to be the ultimate team players. We started a series last week called Empty the Bench, and what we're really looking at on Empty the Bench is what does it mean to be a church member? And my argument from the scripture is that being a church member is not sitting on the sidelines. God did not call us to sit on the sidelines and watch everybody else work. What God called us to do was to be a part of a team that worked together, where my talents and your talents mingle into something greater than either one of us could have been to get, uh, at the same time. Last week, we talked about the importance of joining a team, that God's plan for you that he gave you uh, individual talents, his plan for you with those individual talents was to be a part of a church family, to attach yourself to a body and use those individual talents along with other people. And so as we look at this, what I want us to do is I want us to develop this view of what does it mean to be a church member? Why am I a church member or why would I want to be a church member? And I want us to have a very high view of what that means. Like, I, I want us to understand that being a church member is not just something that looks good on our obituary. Brian Coates died today. He was a member of Ramsey Heights for the past 12 years. That's not what it means to be a church member. Being a church member means this. This is your first take-home truth. Being a church member means that we come together to commit, connect, and contribute. Write that down. Commit, connect, and contribute. So what we're going to be doing today is we're going to be looking at some more teaching of Paul, who we studied last week. Uh, this week, we're going to see some familiar themes that we saw in Romans chapter 12 last week that we will see in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. So if you've got your Bibles, let's read what Paul has to say to us about our job as church members, as followers of Christ. Verse 12, For as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit we all are baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one Spirit. Keep your Bibles open. We're going to come back to that right here. So our second take-home truth, point B, is you spiritually thrive when you attach yourself to other believers. Not just when you're around other believers, when you attach yourself to other believers. And Paul uses the same imagery that he used last week. He uses the imagery of a human body. Our human bodies are made up of several different parts, and all of these parts work in tangent together to accomplish whatever the body needs. So for example, God I love this. I think about God making Adam. God sat down and he decided Adam needed fingers. 
And he could have put those fingers anywhere, but he decided those fingers would work best if there were five of them, and they were on one hand together. Every specific part of our body was designed with a distinct function, and that function works best when it's attached to others. Now, what Paul is doing is he's taking that imagery and he's applying it to the body of Christ. That's, that's what Paul calls the church, the body of Christ. Like when Jesus was here, he had a physical body, and he used that body to work out his love to the world. But in this particular instance, Jesus now, having been um, crucified, he died, he was buried, he was resurrected and ascended. Paul's saying, now it's your job to work out the love of Jesus Christ to the world. I, I don't know why. God chooses to work through us. He could have chose anybody. He could have come back and done it himself. But he chooses to train and to use you and me. And so as such, we are one body, a church, but we are many different parts or many different members with distinct functions. And God's plan for, was for us to come together as one local church to be a part of one local body to do God's work. Now, now there's a problem with this. There's a problem with this because we're using two different words here. We keep saying one body, but then we say different parts or different members. Those two things don't go together. Like you don't have one, we can't all be one, and yet at the same time all be different. That's, that's trying to make unity out of diversity. And that's, that's almost hard. That's an, that's an oxymoron. You guys have heard me talk about that word because that's the only big word I remember from college, oxymoron. Here's what an oxymoron is. Oxymoron is when you have two words that come together that you say together that, that they don't fit together. Things like um, a big baby, pretty ugly. Crash landing, deafening silence, negative growth, Auburn wins. Any of those things. I'm sorry, there's an Auburn fan in here. I offended somebody. I should say Batesville wins. Uh, those things don't go together. Sorry, my Batesville people. I still love you. Like, those things don't go together. And yet, when we talk about a church and we talk about being one yet being different, when we talk about being unified in diversity, and, and God's universe, it does work. That's what he calls us to do. But there is some problems and some conflicts that can come out of that. So what we're going to focus on today is how do we as the body of Christ make it work? How do we come together as different people with different backgrounds and different wants and different desires and different opinions and all come together and make one collective body that is completely unified? Paul's going to continue to go down through the list here. So point C on your outline, here are the keys in unity, uh, uh, to, uh, here are the keys to unity in a body of diversity. Number one here is know your place has value in the body. Continue reading with me what Paul says here. He says, if the foot shall say, because I'm not of the hand, I'm not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear shall say, because I am not of the eye, I am not the eye, I am not of the body. Is it not thereof of the body? If the whole were an eye, where, uh, where were the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where were the smelling? Keep your Bibles open. We're coming back to that again. So Paul continues to use this body imagery of a human body. And he says, okay, let's think about this. Just imagine, imagine every different body part could talk. And your foot's sitting there, and he's feeling a little lonely today. He's a little down. You guys ever get a down day where you're looking in the mirror and you just don't feel good? And the foot begins to talk and goes, oh, I wish I was a hand. Hands are so awesome. They do all of these cool things. They grab things. They move things. People talk with them when they preach. Like hands, hands are so wonderful. Everybody loves hands. And you know what else? Hands get the coolest decorations. They paint those fingernails. They put rings on those hands. Like, like hands are so awesome. And me, I'm just a foot. 
I'm always down here in the dirt. Always smelly because they keep covering me up in these shoes. Apparently, it's not appropriate to wear open-toed shoes sometimes. I, me, I'm just a foot. Nobody likes feet, and I'm a foot. Or Paul says, what if, what if an ear could talk? And he's sitting there and going, wish I was eyes. Eyes are so pretty. They come in all these different colors. They move every which way. When people fall in, in love, do they stare into each other's ears? No. They stare into each other's eyes. Me, I'm just an ear. I'm like two broken airplane wings on the side of the head, just stuck here. I'm so ugly, all the women out there take fish hooks and pierce me and hang colorful beads to try to make me more attractive. I wish I was eyes. And Paul answers those hypothetical questions that your feet or your ears are asking, and he's going, but wait, what, what, if, what if we were all eyes? What if we were all hands? What if we were all fingers? What if we were all feet? See, feet, you have a very special function. Uh, yeah, you, you do smell a little bit, and that's the nose's job to tell us that, but feet, you mobilize us. You're so important to the human body. You mobilize the human body. You ever seen somebody walk on their hands? It's awkward and slow. He says to the ears, those, you are so important. Yeah, you can't see, but you know what? Eyes only work in the direction they're pointed. Ears, you get to hear in 360 surround sound. You're so valuable to the body because you allow us to process information that's going on that we can't see. And so Paul takes this and he applies it to us as individuals, as parts of a church. His point here is your uniqueness gives you value. Like whatever your quirk is, you have value within the body of Christ. God designed you that way. And so you may be sitting here and thinking, I'm so quiet. I just, I don't talk good in front of people. I don't like large groups. Probably nobody likes me. I really have no value here. That's not true. God has a specific design and placement for your talent. You may be the opposite of that. You say, I've known all my life. I just tend to be boisterous and loud and people don't like that. And I never shut my mouth when I need to. It just it kind of comes out and, and people don't like that. No, God has a design for you as you are. You have value within the body of Christ. Now, what I want to notice though, if you go back to Paul's example, what makes the ears and the feet feel like they don't have value? What is it that makes them think, I'm not valuable to this body? It's comparison. It's when they look at other parts of the body and said, I can't see like eyes. I can't move like fingers on hands can. So number two on our keys to unity in a body of diversity is don't establish your value by comparing yourself to others. You are not them. And that's okay. Because God didn't make you them. But I'll tell you something else. They aren't you. They should be comparing themselves to you and asking, and asking what you give. Uh, you know, I, I love being a pastor. I really do. But I found that church is, is, it takes a lot out of me to come to church. Like I come up here every Sunday and I'm going to stand on this stage and I'm going to teach the Word of God, which I absolutely love to do. I believe I was designed to do it and called to do it. But I'll be honest, I go home sometimes and I'm like, oh. like I never get poured into. I don't get to sit out there and eat. By the way, you should, you should be thanking God to be able to sit in a church and listen to somebody teach the Word of God. And so here's what I do throughout the week. I listen to podcasts of different pastors and I get to kind of pick and choose. And I listen to some of the most phenomenal pastors in the United States of America and teach. And I get poured into and I get grown and I learn more about how to be a pastor and I learn more about the Bible. It's wonderful. But you know what happens to me? Is I start to think to myself, ooh, I could, I could have never taught that lesson like he did. I've never even read Ecclesiastes. He, he thinks it's pretty important. 
I start to think, I, I couldn't make people laugh like that. My jokes never land that good. Like their church is really big and mine's not really big. It's still big. Like I, I start to question myself and I start to compare myself to others. And listen, this is what this does to us, to me, or to you, to anybody, is it steals our joy. Like there's so much joy in being who God called you to be. But it's when we start looking at other people and start comparing ourselves to them, it's like, I couldn't do that. They're better than me. They have this that I don't. That's when our joy starts to go away. And this is Satan's favorite tool to demoralize you. You who are, who are important to this body. Satan wants to give you a view of somebody and say, you can't sing like that. You can't talk like that. You can't teach like that. You can't give like that. They have all the tools that you don't have. And he begins to steal your value and make you feel like you don't belong in the body of Christ. Like you don't have a place. And to be honest with you, if you don't know what your value is and he knows this, you know what you're going to do? You're going to end up sitting on the bench and watching everybody else in the game. That's what Satan wants to do to us, is to pull us out of the game and take those special skills that God has given us and keep us from using them. You know how you combat Satan? Satan is the father of lies, and there's one thing that will kill him every time, and that is truth. And the truth of God's word says that you are special, that you have value, that God has a plan to use you no matter who you are, what talents you do or do not have. And I can prove that. Listen to verse 18. Listen to verse 18 in your scripture here. But now God has set the members, every one of them in the body, as it has pleased him. Take home truth number three there on unity and diversity is be where God has placed you and be confident in his purpose. Paul's back to the human body as an example of the body of Christ here. And he says, look, the Bible says this. Everything in this earth was spoken into existence except for one thing, and that is Adam. And God took Adam, he took the dust of the earth, and he formed Adam. It doesn't say that God did it with his hands, but I have this picture of God leaning down, and he's taking Adam, and he's moving all these little parts. And he says, as God was forming Adam, he said, okay, he needs toes there, he needs fingers there, that's a good place for the nose. And he creates this human body with every piece of it exactly where it needs to be. Now take that to the body of Christ. Take that to the body of Christ. What that tells us is that God places us with our talents and our abilities where we need to be. And that's a good thing. Because imagine if the human body was different. Can you, can you imagine that? Like God had to just kind of thrown things together really quick yet and taken a lot of time. What if he had put our eyes on the bottom of our feet? Hey, Brian, look at that. Oh, yeah, I see that. Right? What if, what if he had to put our mouth on our left kneecap? Hey, I need to talk to you. Okay, hold on just a second. Like, what, 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 if, what if God had done that? What if he had to put our fingers attached to our nose? <laughs> How awkward would that have been? You know, God didn't do that. He designed us with a purpose. And when he puts the body of Christ together, when he puts a local body of Christ together, he designed us with a purpose. And he's bringing the right people to the right place at the right time to do the right things. That's what, that's what God is doing as our church is growing. And so I want to ask you a question. It's the same question I asked you last week. But a question we should always ask ourselves about our church placement is, are we where God has placed us? That's the number one question we should always ask. Is this where God wants me to be at? God, God doesn't want you to go to a church just because you've got a family there. God doesn't want you to go to church just because you like the preacher or like the music style. God has a plan for you in a specific place, and we should be looking for it. And if we don't, what happens 
is number one, you're not going to grow into what God's called you to grow into. But number two, truth is, you're going to hurt both where you're not that you should be and where you are that you shouldn't be. What if we could take every talent, just stay with me for a second for a hypothetical. What if we took every talent that you and I could possibly have and we broke them down into two, two categories, leaders and servants. And let's just say today that, that you were a leader, that, that God had blessed you with the ability to organize things, people listen to you, you, you could handle large groups of people and direct them, and that is the talent God gave you. And, and you're looking for a church with your leadership talent and your leadership ability. And you find a church, it's not very far from home, you like the pastor, the music is pretty nice, the facilities are good, the people seem to be really cheerful, and so you start going to that church. But there's a problem. That particular church is already full of leaders. Everybody in there has the same talents and the same abilities that you do. And so for that reason, your talents begin to be wasted. Or the truth is, you use those leadership talents and you begin to lead in a way that is different than the way the people God has placed there to lead. And it causes conflict. Let me tell you this story. When I first became pastor, I think I've been pastor here for two weeks. A local pastor from another church had retired, and he was looking for a place to go where he could serve. And he knew at the time Ramsey Heights did not have a lot going on, so he came here for a few weeks. And I, we were all so excited, like, yes, come here. We got jobs for you. We need your talent and everything. And he came for about six weeks, maybe two months, and, and he quit coming. He said, Brian, I just don't think this is where I'm supposed to be. And I just I'm going to argue with him. Like, no, we need you. Trust me. If any church in Batesville needs you right now, it's us. So I went and I talked to him. I was like, hey, we need you. I, I think you're wrong in this. Come, come back to Ramsey Heights. Like, I think God has a plan for you here. And, and here's what he told me. And at the time I disagreed with him, but I have multitudes of respect for this decision. He said, Brian, right now, with my talents and the position of leadership I've been in, God doesn't need me at Ramsey Heights because you're a young leader trying to step into your position and I don't need to be there to distract people from that. And I was like, you're not distracting anybody. Seriously, come on. I will give you any job. I don't care if you take up the offering. We need you here. But he said, Brian, that's not where I'm supposed to be. And looking back at that, I agree now. I understand what he was saying. He said, the talents that God has given me were not for this place at this time because God was doing something else here. He's at a church now where, he, where they have a leadership vacuum. And I talked to him a few weeks ago, and he's, he's helping guide that church through some turmoil because he was where God called him to be. I have so much respect for him to do that, especially with me, you know, at 26 years old. He's come here like a little, you know, puppy dog. Imagine the other one. What if you're a servant and God has given you the ability, maybe not to be up front, but you are just that person that shows up for everything. Doesn't matter what's being asked to do, you're going to do it. God's given you a talent to do, to love to do, to be happy while you're doing, and to serve. And God gave you that. And you find a church that's close to home. You like the pastor. You like the church. Everything's wonderful. But it's also full of other servants. They didn't need you. They needed a leader. And so you go into this church and you're serving him because you're always there all the time. Suddenly you get thrust into a leadership position that you don't belong in. They start asking you to take care of this or do that. And I can tell you, I, well, I won't say from experience, I can tell you I've seen this happen, that that leads to a lot of hurt if you're where you're not supposed to be. So the question I'm asking you is simply, are you where you're supposed to be? And then I hope that you are where you're supposed to be. If you are, be confident that God has placed you where you have been. If you can walk into this building and say, I know for a fact that God led me here. This is where he wants me and wants my family. Be confident that God brought you here for a reason. That you have value to this body that God has a plan for you. See, if we, let me back up. When we get off of our game. 
When we don't know what God's doing, it's generally because I'm focused on my abilities and not God's plan. As followers of Christ, we need to spend our lives asking what is God's plan, being within God's plan, and being confident in God's plan regardless of what our abilities is. Because the truth is, He knows more than you and I do. Now, if we take that as a truth, hey, God places everybody where, he, where they belong. God leads us to be a church together. I'm led to be here in my capacity. You're led to be here in your capacity. Like, we really believe what the Bible says, that God is placing people with certain abilities where he needs them. That means that we have value for us, that we're confident in his placement of us. But listen to this and listen carefully. We also have to be confident in his placement of others. Listen to me with verse 19 here. And if they were all one member, where were the body? But now there are many members, yet but one body. And listen to verse 21. And the eye cannot say unto the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. No, much more those members of the body which seem to be more feeble are necessary. And those members of the body which we think are less honorable, upon these we bestow more abundant honor. And our uncomely parts have more abundant comeliness. For our comely parts have no need, but God has tempered the body together, having given more abundant honor to that part which is lacked. That there should be no schism in the body. Oops, went ahead. Sorry, I supposed to start stop 24. Listen, listen to what Paul's saying. Number four on your outline if you're taking notes. Seek to see, draw from, and build up the value of others. Paul continues here. Because God placed all the parts here, he has a reason for placing them. He has a purpose for all. Everybody in this room, God is either allowed to be here or led to be here. And we as church members, we have to see the value of other people. What they bring to the table. Why God brought them here. See, as humans, we, we love competition. We love comparing ourselves to others, and then we love ranking people based upon competition. That's why we love sports so much. Like yesterday, college football. We, we sit on the couch, and we watch this team versus that team, and we say, which one's better? And then today, rankings will come out, and we'll all be like, hey, did you see the Hogs are ranked number whatever, 38? I don't know what we'd be right now. Like, we start talking about, where do we line up? We're, we're better than these 10 teams, but we're worse than these 10 teams. And what can happen to us in the church is we can start to do that. We can start to compare ourselves to others, and we can start ranking ourselves just like everybody always does. And we can say, well, this person's a teacher, but they're not a teacher, so the teacher's more important. This person seems to give more money to the church, so they're more important than the person who doesn't give more money to the church. This person comes to this event or that event, so they're more important than the people that don't. And we begin to place rank on people. And what we begin to do is we begin to assign value to people based on what they do or don't do. And that is not God's plan. We are co-equal in God's body of Christ. We all have different talents that we use for different reasons. We don't get to place ourselves and rank ourselves. And we don't get to decide who is necessary to the body of Christ and who is not necessary. And so you may be sitting here and you may, you may be a little on advanced in years and you may be thinking, all these young people need to quit coming in here with these new ideals and trying to change everything. We built this church, it's time for us to enjoy it. 
It's our church, not theirs. They need to sit down and listen. Listen, what the Bible says is you don't get to make that distinction. That's not for us to decide who is necessary and who is not necessary. God is bringing people into this church with a reason for their abilities, their wants, and their talents. And the same thing is, as younger people, you may be sitting around and be younger and thought, well, all these old people need to get out of the way. They're holding things back. Things aren't going the way we want it to. We do all the work anyway. I've actually heard that one before. We do all the work anyway. It's our turn. We may be thinking that I teach kids or I teach teens or I teach adults. Therefore, my ministry should be more important than the others because that's more important. And what happens is we slowly use the, lose the value of different. What God called us to do as a church is see the value in people that are different than us. That have different wants, have different desires, have different, have different talents than we do. And what it comes down to is it comes down to our perspective of church. What do we think of when we think of church? How many of you have ever said, Ramsey Heights is my church? Raise your hand. I've said it. It's not your church. I'm sorry. It's, it's not. Ramsey Heights is going to exist with you or without you. It doesn't mean that you're unloved. It doesn't mean that you don't belong here. You do. But it doesn't belong to me. I say it all the time. I'm Ramsey Heights is my church. It's not. It's God's church. And we seem to have this uh, thing in our mind that tells us that, that for some reason I have ownership of this church because I've been going here for a long time or because I do this or I do that. That's not what God calls us to do. As a matter of fact, if we were to say it biblically, if we were to have the biblical perspective, what we would say is I am a part of Ramsey Heights. Notice the difference in that. Ramsey Heights is my church versus I'm a part of Ramsey Heights. I'm a part of Ramsey Heights means that I belong to the church, not the church belongs to me. And suddenly that changes when I say I belong to this church. That means that the brother or sister who's sitting next to me also belongs to this church, that we all belong here. And what happens is we begin to see people's value and we can build up their value and we can draw from that value. And this is very important when we talk about seeing the value in ourselves and seeing the value in others. Because this begins to affect how we do our mission. How we stand out in the community. Because when we value others, what we'll see is we will care for others. Read with me last time, verses 25 and 26. Finally, that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. And whether one member suffer, all members suffer with it. And whether one member be honored, all members rejoice with it. Our next take-home truth, number five, is be a force of unity by caring for the needs of others. What Paul was building towards here is he talked about the value of you, the value of others, understanding God's place for you in a church is this. This beautiful picture of what a church should look like. The Bible says here that there should be no schism in the church. You know what a schism is? It just simply means division. And usually divisions among factions. If you want to know how to keep a church unified, and listen to me, Satan's favorite thing to do in a church is come in and split a church and say, you want this and they want that and you're better than they are, so you rank yourself better, so they're not important. And he begins to create disunity in a church. If you want unity in a church, if you want no division, no schism, here is the formula for it. Value yourself and your gifts, but also value the other people in the church and their gifts. If I value me and I value you, guess what it never becomes? It never becomes me versus you. It's me and you. We're together, we're, we're working together for a purpose. See, as a church with our differences, we should complement each other, not compete. The first thing I hear when I do marriage counseling almost every time is somebody trying to convince me that their spouse is broken. 
Well, Brown, she won't quit spending money. She just spends money all the time. She spends money and so on and so forth. This is the problem. Okay, or I heard you. And then, then she'll chime in. Well, you don't understand. He works. He's never home. This is a big issue in our marriage. And they're trying to convince me that the other person is broken. And here's where we always start. Your spouse is not broken. They have a talent that you don't have. And that talent was meant to complement you in that relationship. That was meant for you two to work together, not to compete with each other based on your differences. I'll tell you this story. My wife... My wife is very relational. We, we have differences of opinion. Uh, my wife's idea of a good time is to get me and her and all of her friends and to go somewhere and do something. And to me, I'm pretty sure that's what happens if you don't know Jesus as your Savior when you die. So, <clears throat> sorry. Like, that's, that's her plan for us. If we were going to come together on a Saturday, we're going to go out with me and her and all her friends. She's very relational. She loves relationships. You know what my idea of a good time is? Me and you own a four-wheeler way away from everybody else and we're not going to talk while we're out there. there. There's two differences there. And at times that can cause conflict, that can cause differences of opinion between the two of us. Like, I want to be off alone and you want to be with people. How do we do this? And I, in my mind, I'm like, why do we always have to be around people? Don't like that. But you know what? My wife's relational ability is a superpower. Because as pastor of this church, I want to tell you this, I want, I want to brag on her. She'll come up to me and she'll say, Brian, have you checked on so-and-so? I don't know why. I just feel like something's not right there. And I'm like, yeah, I talked to them this morning. I said, how are you? They said, fine. So they're good. And she said, no, no, no. You need to talk to them. And so here in about a week, I'll come nosing up to somebody and I'll, I'll be real spiritual. It's like, um, I, was, I was praying the other day and God told me that you were dealing with something. I wanted to come check in on you. Truth is, it was my wife. And, and, and people go, yeah, yeah, Brian, we're just, we're really struggling in our marriage right now. Uh, Brian, Brian, uh, uh, I'm dealing with some health issues. I didn't want to burden everybody with it. I don't want everybody to know, but yeah, I'm really stressed out about some health issues. And see, her difference from me, though at times it may seem annoying, is a superpower that was meant to complement me, not to compete with me. And as a church, as we come together, every last one of us has differences that are meant to complement each other, not, not to compete with each other. Because see, what God calls us to be is not two different halves that make up one, but truly one body. And this is what it looks like to be a member of a church, that we care for each other and we complement each other in our differences. Can I admit my age here? 34 years old, falling apart. Last weekend we came up here and we, we were doing a little work and I woke up Sunday night and my shoulder was killing me. I did something to it like 10 years ago. Believe it or not, lifting weights. I was lifting weights. Lots of weights. 33 pounds. Anyway, I, I was lifting weights and I did something to my shoulder about 10 years ago. And so when I, when I tweak it a little bit, it hurts. And I woke up Sunday night and the thing was just on fire. Man, it hurt. And the next day it was so sore. And every time I'd move it or point or something, it just hurt. And you know what I realized through the day? I got about halfway through the day and I realized this. My whole body adjusted to keeping my shoulder from hurting. There was one weak part of my body, my whole body. I walked around like this all day. I wasn't even mean to, I didn't say, okay, I'm going to hold my hand here. My whole body, just my muscles and back tense. When I worked, I worked like this for a whole day. You know why? Because my shoulder is part of my body. And the rest of the body gathered around it to care for it, to, to help it heal. As a body of Christ, that's what we're called to do, is care for one another. Not to compete with each other, but to compliment and care for one another. Because we are one. Listen, I want you to know, if you, if you come here, your pain is my pain. If you're hurting, we hurt along with you. I wish I could count the amount of tears that have been cried by members of this church for other members of this church. Billions. 
If you have a victory, it's not your victory, it's our victory. We're going to celebrate it together. Hey, you got a new job? Yes, let's celebrate. We're so excited for you. As a church, we thrive together, we hurt together, and we have victories together, and we step up for each other's needs. And unity comes when we agree that it's not me versus you, but it's me and you, and we care for each other's needs. Listen, disunity comes when we come into this church and we say, these are my needs. This is what I want. This is what I desire. I don't care what anybody else wants. This is my desire. Listen, that is a spiritual poison. The more you drink of that, that will spiritually kill you if you're in competition with people all the time. And here's my concern. I love you. If you want to drink spiritual poison, I don't think it's a good idea, but I can't stop you. But you're part of the body. And when you drink spiritual poison because you're part of the body, you know what it does? It starts to creep into the rest of the body. It starts to poison the church. Every church split in the history of the world has started with people going, I want this. As members of Christ, we've got to fight that. We've got to fight those problems. And here's what's interesting, and here's what I think is important about this. Is when we come together, we provide a picture of Christ in a long world. That's why the, 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 uh, the Bible calls us the body of Christ. The last one, number six, take home truth. Remember God's plan for the body of Christ. This is how we find unity in diversity. As we come here, every single thing that we come here for, every single thing the Bible teaches is phrased through one of two things, or usually both things. Number one is the love of Christ on you and me, lost and dying sinners. Everything we talk about is phrased through that. The second thing that we phrase things through is our mission. As a church, when we come together, we have this mission to spread the gospel to a lost and dying world. And you'll notice Paul never talked about the mission here. Why did Paul never take time and say, hey, this has to help the mission because you're on mission together and you need to be unified? Why did he never talk about it? It's because unity is part of the mission. Listen, listen to this. You guys know this story as well as I do, but let me tell you this story. When God created this earth, he created it perfect. No pain, no hurt, no sore shoulders, no LeBron James, nothing bad. That was funnier than that. See, you know, those other pastors get jokes laughed at, not me. Like, nothing bad. And what happened is Adam and Eve, when they turned away from God and they began to sin, it caused division between them and God. If you read the story, the first thing you see is Adam and Eve hid from God. There was division between them and God. But then when God finally finds them, it's like, Adam, why are you hiding? What you see is division between people. What does Adam immediately answer? Well, God, it was that woman. She's broken. You did it. You made her. You see division between people. And for the rest of human history up to this point, for the rest of human history, we've been broken. We've been divided from God and we've been divided from each other until Jesus came here. Jesus came here to sacrifice himself on a cross so he could undo what we did. Listen, get it out of your mind. Jesus did not come here and die so you could have the prettiest house on some cloud somewhere. Jesus came here to undo the division between us and him. And when he undoes the division between us and him, he undoes the division between us and others. One day we're going to live with God forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. And we won't be fighting with each other over anything. We're going to agree on everything completely. But in the meantime, listen to this, in the meantime, we've got a job to do. And the job is to be on mission of getting other people to go with us. And when we come together as a church that is unified, unified what we do is we prepare a picture for the world of, hey, this is what the future looks like. 
We're not divided from God. We're not divided against others. And that means when people come here to light the night tomorrow, they're going to be watching two ladies standing there. They're going to be like, that's like 250 cups of hot chocolate that they've made together. But they're still smiling with each other and they're still laughing and they're enjoying it. Why is that? Why aren't they fighting? Why aren't they upset about this? And you know what we get to say? We get to say, because God changed me and I enjoy this. When a group of guys get up here to do concrete work and they smile and they laugh and even when the work is done, we just want to stay and talk to each other. People are going to look at us and go, why are you guys like that? Everybody else hates work. And we'll say, it's because of what Jesus Christ did in us. See, church unity is part of the mission of bringing others to Christ. And so what I want to ask us today as we look at this, if Liv wants to start making our way up here, what I want to ask us is what is God calling us to do? Here's the truth. As a church, we will not spread the gospel until we live the gospel. And as a church, we have to come together and say, I'm willing to provide my place in the kingdom, in the body of Christ. I'm willing to work and I'm willing to value, the, I'm willing to find value in others. So let me ask you a couple questions. Maybe today God's telling you, hey, it's time for you for the first time to accept Jesus' gift of salvation. That can be taken care of today. Maybe you've been there and God's saying, hey, you know you're supposed to be attached to a body. Today can be the day for that as well. But it may be in my heart and in your heart what we found is within a church, within a family, we begin to drift away because we begin to think of my needs and not the needs of others. Today I just want to challenge you to let that go. To give that to God and say, God, I want to be a unifying church member. I want to be somebody who works on mission for you. This is our response time. The only thing I ask of you is response time is you take what the Bible has taught us today and you leave here different. Don't walk out of here saying, God, none of this matters. It's just another Sunday at church. Ask him what he'd have you to do or to convict you of what you need to change. Let's stand and worship.